Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. I just want to thank you for still doing this podcast. I know that you are a major ESPN television personality now and an around the horn champion. So welcome to ESPN Ice with Emily Kaplan featuring Greg Wyshynski. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, the producer coming in hot. Uh, Look, I would never, ever, ever give up this podcast. It is the joy of my week. Uh, I am not a TV personality, but I did win around the horn and I had a really good time doing it. So for those who didn't see it, you were up against Woody Page, Stugatz. Mm. Was there another yes. one? Uh, yeah, there's Ken, Kevin Blackstone. That's right, Blackstone was there. And uh, and tell people about your victory. Yeah, it was fun. It's really a weird experience because everyone films it remotely, so you're kind of just in the studio by yourself. Honestly, like a little inside baseball, the hardest thing to do is know where to look with your eyes because everyone's <laughs> on like a two-second tape delay, so you don't really want to react too hard to people making a point because you're just going to look like an idiot and you're like reacting really slowly. So uh, my biggest um, fear was not having resting B-face. Uh, we'll, we'll go with that as the uh, appropriate <laughs> Uh, terminology. I mean, for I, mean it. I mean, Woody Page has that already handled for the show. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you can't have two people with it. Yeah, I didn't want to take a shtick. Like he's been around long enough. I had to come up with my own shtick. So I went for spazzy eyes every once in a while. That was my shtick. <laughs> uh, what happens when you went around the horn? I mean, do you, uh, I mean, I imagine you get deluged with text messages like you scored an overtime goal. Obviously, that's the first thing. Yeah, you realize how many people watch TV, and then you really realize how many people watch TV. Um, but yeah, it was cool, too, because you did it, and then there's like this hour break, because it's tape delay, where it's like the eye of the storm, and I knew my phone was going to blow up, and I knew it was going to be really exciting, but I'm like, walking down Michigan Ave, it's a sunny day, and I'm like, life is good. Uh, and then, yeah, that, that was my Friday. Is there any uh, talk of a return engagement, being that you are undefeated? You know what? Um, there, there's two two ways to go here. One, I, I can sit around waiting and hoping they call, or I can just say right now I'm announcing my retirement and have the greatest win percentage of all time. So who's to say? We shall see. Or conversely, it could be a Friday and they have your number. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> to get to- that's pretty good. <laughs> but that's it's, again, you represented, you represented the podcast, you represented hockey, on ESPN television, which I know is very important to a lot of listeners to this very podcast. So congratulations. Thank you. And not to do a little navel grazing about how awesome hockey is, but uh, it was very difficult on a couple of nights when I was like, I must watch the NBA playoffs tonight to prepare. And it was like a 20-point blowout, and all I wanted to do was flip yeah. the hockey game. That was my favorite part of you doing the show is your cram session, like you're like you're back in college and you're trying to figure out yeah. exactly what happened in, in, uh, in, in Tess of the Durbervilles. Yep, yep. <laughs> You should have seen how many calls I made to every NBA reporter I knew in my phone. Like, tell me everything. <laughs> it's the best. Well, you're awesome. I'm so proud of you. And on the podcast today, you'll be proud of what we're doing because we have a bunch of Great wacky transition. fins. Oh, thank you. A plus. A bunch of wacky fins talking about Tuka Rask, Patrick Lane, and many other things. And also Darren Pang, our good friend, uh, talking about Jordan Bennington. Uh, goaltending in general, and uh, and good stuff from the Blue Shark series. All that and more on the latest edition of ESPN on Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. <laughs> 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 Welcome to ESPN and Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I am Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer out in beautiful 
the land of toasted ravioli and profiled pizza, St. Louis, Missouri. Well, I'm Emily Kaplan, a National NHL reporter, and I'm in just as beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina, the home of the Research Triangle Pit Barbecue and、uh, Pools Diner, which I'm going to try to get into tonight. It's the hot spot because the chef just won a James Beard Award, so、uh, mm. we're all going to try to go and get some fancy mac、mm. and cheese. Well, while we talk about restaurants, yeah, I will, let's food I will, it up. I'll food it up.、Um, it, the road food goes one of two ways for me: either it is、mm-hmm. just complete trash. And I want to、mm. go eat at the local fast food establishments. Like、uh, the first time I went to a Culver's was I think on the road、uh, <gasps> during the playoffs. Oh,、um, Culver's is so good. Or I do exactly what you're doing tonight, which is try to go to the best place that I can. So shout out to Benjamin Hockman, who is a columnist here in St. Louis and a real good dude, who pointed me towards Louie, a restaurant、uh, on Demun, and it was damn good last night. Hummus with mint in it, roasted chicken. Highly recommend if you're in St. Louis and don't want to eat. Like a like a raccoon、uh, to go to the good restaurant in town. <laughs> go to Louis; it's great. <laughs> Can I ask a really foodie question? Sure. What was your best bite? My best bite was the first bite of the chicken because the、uh, skin is sort of honey brined. It's buttered.、Mm. Uh, the chicken itself is super tender, and then they also throw a broccoli rabe next to it. So throw it all together and put it in your mouth. I was、uh, eating alone at the bar, which I, I have no problem with. I don't know if other people have problems eating alone, but my God. I just it's it's、uh, spiritual sometimes to just sit there and marinate and and eat your food and feel okay with life and oh and and stream the draft the end in the NBA draft lottery on my phone from ESPN <laughs> and you yell at me for streaming uh cramming hockey I uh cramming basketball <laughs> I too like eating at the bar but my only issue with it is it's a lot like around the horn you just never know where to look. <laughs> For me, I was looking down and watching the tears of Knicks fans as an as a Nets fan.、Aww. It's a great night spent.、Um, all right, so you're in Raleigh. I guess the first question is: if they get swept, will they eat the pig? Do they do they do they just turn the pig、oh、into delicious vinegary North Carolina barbecue?、Um, the pig serves no purpose if they don't win in the playoffs anymore. Correct. Uh, yes and no. I, I think the pig is here to stay. I think Hamilton is a, you know, it was a marketing thing that the team, you know, probably bypassed. They let a fan come up with it, but they've totally embraced it. The pig made it to Sportsnet last night. I、mm-hmm. get、uh, a big exclusive interview, and I think it's going to be kind of like gritty. It's just、uh, a super uh, authentic uh, mascot or avatar of this team and the incredible run they were on. So, no, Greg,、mm. I don't think they're going to roast the pig. I think that's really, really dark. <clears throat> well. I mean, it's basically what the Bruins are doing in this series. They're roasting the pig, three and zero. Rask stopping everything in sight. Let's start off with the Hurricanes. I, 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 there's been a reaction to Carolina in this series that I don't really like, which is that I feel like we're still grading them on a curve. It's kind of、mm. like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like it's kind of like, well, you know, they're down three zero to Boston. Boston, but they're not、really、supposed、good. to be here. They're not even supposed, they're not to, be supposed to be here. Yep. They're totally supposed to be here. They beat the defending Stanley Cup champions. They beat the best defensive team in hockey, and then they went out and played their two worst games of maybe the last four months in the first two games of the series in Boston. That's inexcusable. Like, let's bring a little bit of heat. Let's let's not pet the puppy's head. It's a grown-up dog now. Let's let's talk about how poorly this team has played in this series. And I know Boston's good, and I know Tuke is playing his best hockey. But come on, the first two games in the series were embarrassing for Carolina, especially Game Two. They were embarrassing, and after Game Three, it was a really weird tone. 
uh, among the Carolina Hurricanes. Obviously, it was somber. Obviously, it was weird. We have Rod Brindamore going up there, and I've mentioned many times on this podcast, I appreciate his raw, unpolished nature sometimes. He just says how he feels, and he just sounded so defeated, like he was asking for a participation trophy. He's like, you know, we feel as good as about the fact that we at least gave him a game. At least we look like a team that had a chance to win compared to the other two nights. And it it just kind of felt unsavory. Um, You know, I know they know that they have improbable odds at this point, but, uh, you know, they've always been looked at as this high-energy, fast team, and that's how they want to identify it. It almost feels like they were trying a little bit too hard against the Bruins, Mm -hmm. and they lost their way, and they lost their identity. I also felt like listening to Brenda Moore and to, and to Justin Williams, and I mean, let's face it, they're like co-coaches, so it's kind of like a shared <laughs> brain at this point. Like, they clearly both saw a path back to the series, and the path back to the series was winning game three. And oh, if you don't yeah. win game three, you pull the, the thread and the sweater unravels. And, and you could hear it in Justin Williams talking last night. It's kind of like, you know, you know, people were like, oh, you know, you've been involved in these comebacks before. And, and he's just like, let's talk about this tomorrow, man. Like, this is not, yeah. maybe we can get to this rah-rah stuff tomorrow, but tonight can't get into it. Um, can I pause for a second? Yeah. One of the weirdest, like, reporting tropes I've noticed in this series is, Every question has to apply to one player's past experience and how that's going to help the team. So, like, <laughs> yeah. yesterday it was the Boston Bruins availability, and there's, like, Joachim Nordstrom there. And it's like, your experience in the World Championships and with the Chicago Blackhawks, how will you use that to help your team? It's like, huh? Like, <laughs> um, So that's been really used a lot with the Carolina Hurricanes as well, which I've just found Interesting, just because it's getting to the point where it's cliche to the point where I just can't even stand it anymore. It's like it's yeah, it's always good when reporters stand there with a resume and kind of go over it with guys and being like, you know, when you were working at uh, at pot uh, at Potbelly's uh, back yes. in high school, um, I feel like you really learned something churning out those sandwiches at lunchtime. What can you do with that to apply it to this series? Um, yep. Speaking of Justin Williams, can you tell me what the hell happened to Justin Williams? This is this is a guy whose reputation yeah. was postseason, you know, Messiah uh, and 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 you know, leader of the of the Hurricanes, and you know, a guy that keeps them steady, steady Eddie, the whole thing. And he just he's just gone bonkers in this series, probably because of Marchand. Yeah. So you know. A little context on Justin Williams. He, he's very humble. Um, he's a guy that doesn't even like the moniker Game 7. Like, he, if, oh. if you call him Mr. Game 7, he kind of cringes. <laughs> Not a fan. Um, and you see him after Game 2, uh, and he gets tangled up with Marshand, and he gets baited into taking that penalty. And he's like, you know, I'm old enough. I ought to know better. And then you see him in Game 3, totally unhinged. Uh, he... Tory Krug owned his headspace. They were going at it all night. He took three penalties in the first period alone. He's taken punches to the back of David Backus' head uh, mm-hmm. in a little scrum. And he says after the game, no, I don't think my emotions uh, got the best of him. And, you know, as you mentioned, his good friend slash co-coach slash technically coach, Rob Brindamore, goes and defends him and is like, you know, I think only the high hit on Krug uh, was probably a penalty. The other two were soft. I think he was fine. He was just battling. But it's clear that he's trying to get he's internalizing all this pressure and all the failures of his team in the first two games and it's totally getting to him and I think it broke him in a little bit because it got him off his game and look he's still contributing as he should offensively but uh to take three penalties alone one guy in the first period like that's inexcusable especially for a captain yeah and I don't think we've talked since the the incident in game two where he went he got hooked by Marchand which was a horrible play by him and then went nuts, and then Marchand gave him the get-to-the-penalty-box, scurry-along little one, and then did the captain C on his jersey with his with his hand. Um, you think that was choreographed, like he thought of that ahead of time? 
Maybe, or he's just such a evil mastermind that it just came to him in the moment. But either way, genius, genius. We, we did the top twenty heel moments of Brad Marchand's career last year. We're going to update that list soon. That's on the list. Mm-hmm. That is so good. That get go, go, run along, little one, to the penalty box, followed by, "Is this your captain? Is this who you consider to be your captain?" <laughs> it's just so good. It's so good. It's so good. We Speaking told Chris good, Johnson the... that we think this oh, season is for Coburn, their sh- shared hometown. It was like more um, like an inside hockey thing. It must like be. I'm sure thing. this. Yeah, I'm sure the C was for a lot of things that mm. maybe microphones on the ice would have picked up, but luckily mm. didn't. Um, mm. Like coward, of course. Are the Bruins this good, or or is Carolina just not this good at this point? This is what I'll say about the Bruins. I think they were a very, very good team this year. That was overshadowed by the fact that there was a very, 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 very good team in the Tampa mm-hmm. Bay Lightning. And we probably overshadowed them a bit. You know, we talk so much about that first line, but every single one of their lines is clicking right now. They have 19 different goal scorers. Uh, they've got different defensive guys stepping up. Even last night, you know, Zdenichar, we talked so much about how he's probably regressing how to adapt his game uh, to the modern NHL, but he was being used in really big-time situations. Brandon Carlo, as I've gushed about, is, is their bona fide number one. Charlie McAvoy, uh, I think he's playing a good series after he came back from suspension. So all the things are going for them. And when the end of the day, when we do our big, um, you know, postmortem of, of the 2018-19 season, we'll look at Don Sweeney and say he probably had the two best trade deadline acquisitions. Charlie Coyle, when the top line was not producing, was the best forward for the uh, Boston Bruins in the first round uh, against the, Tampa, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Marcus Johansson now is, is elevated his game, and the two of them have just been buzzing. And I, I think they're an excellent addition for this team. Yeah, and and, you, and that's a great point. And then you look over on the other side of the bracket, and Gustav Nyquist doing what he's done for the Sharks on their top line. I mean, I mean, we'll talk about this later. But I mean, why aren't we learning lessons from this? You should be aggressive at the trade deadline. Isn't aren't we going to apply the lessons of this postseason to everything now? We'll talk about that yeah, later. Of course. Um, <laughs> I, I do. I do agree with you, though. I mean, I thought Boston. I thought one of the reasons why I didn't buy the Bruins as a potential Stanley Cup champion was the fact that they weren't getting great performances throughout the lineup, but you watch Nordstrom and Corrali last night, um, and you know, Johan- Johansson obviously I think was... Chris Wagner had a good game before he Wagner, started. I mean, it's, it, it is kind of getting to that different hero every night thing for them, and it's been really impressive, and finally I guess we should talk about Tuca. Um, <laughs> it's been really <laughs> fun to see some of our friends in the Boston media who have been Tuca Rask defenders get a chance to plant their flag on the hill and claim victory because... He was always unfairly maligned in that city. And he was unfairly maligned because, you know, his numbers sometimes wouldn't be, like, spectacular. They'd just be really good. And he was always maligned because I think he had a really hard act to follow in Tim Thomas, who was a beloved player in that league before he lost his mind. So I think that Rask was always in a really weird position. And then even more weird this year because you had Halak actually outplay him a bit in the regular season. But... I mean, this has always been the guy that he is, the guy who could just shut it down for a couple of weeks and be the best goalie in hockey. And uh, it's been good to see him get a victory lap so far in these playoffs. For sure. I think it all began with him in that uh, flyer Stanley Cup, right, when he blew the lead. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the impetus for the hate for Tuca. Uh, he's been so locked in, 
SOCOM. Um, we'll talk about it later with Tommy Sapala and Sammy Holfren, uh, our two Finnish experts who have followed Tuka throughout his career. Uh, what's interesting to me, by the way, uh, just to tease that conversation, is we talked about how he's such a lightning rod in Boston, right? He's one of the more uh, controversial figures. You either love him or you hate him. Uh, but what is he like in Finland? How do people view him there? They don't care about him because uh, he didn't play for the world championship team or a national team, and they care about Pekka Reine better, uh, which is interesting <laughs> to me. Uh, it speaks a little bit to the Finnish mindset. Uh, but, yeah, yeah he, he's been so incredible. And, you know, I think Dougie Hamilton said it best last night. He obviously knew Tuca from his time with the Boston Bruins, but he's like, if he sees it, he's going to stop it. That's just how locked in he is. And he didn't think they were getting enough traffic in front of him. Uh, speaking of just one other key to the series, it's all about special teams. We talked about oh, before God. the series uh, that five on five, the Hurricanes probably might even have an edge. Uh, the Bruins will take special teams all day, any day. Yeah, Bruins were one for five in game three, but the one was huge, obviously, the Marchand mm-hmm. one. Uh, they were uh, two for two <laughs> Jesus. in game two, and then in game one... Uh, they were uh, two for five. So, yeah, we it, it was something that we both talked about before the series. Stay out of the box against them. The power play was was torrid, and it's exactly what happened. I mean, the the, the Hurricanes uh, have been completely torched by them on special teams. Uh, talk to me about your Finnish boys that we're about to hear from. Oh, man, they're the best. Um, you've met some really cool people in this industry, and two of the coolest I've met are Tommy and Sammy. Uh, they are like brothers, as Tommy put in a late-night Instagram post after one of their nights of many, many beers about <coughs> Sammy. Uh, they come, they live in North America. Tommy lives in Vancouver. Sammy lives in fin- uh, in Toronto. And they report back to the Finnish newspapers on all the Finns in the league. So I thought they would in- offer us really interesting perspective, both on Tuka's run, but also we can get on other topics like Patrick Laine, Capo Kako, Mika Rantanen. Um, Plus, the many, many words that they have for hangover in the Finnish language. So here they are. <laughs> now joining me are two guys that I'm really fortunate to call my friends. Would you guys call us friends? Of course. Yeah. We spend Absolutely. enough time with each other. Yeah. Um, but I love them because they know hockey so well. They know Finnish hockey so well. And they've done a great job explaining it to me. So it's Sammy Holfren and Tommy right. Seppala. Now, first, we need to talk about Tuka. So in Boston, he seems to have this reputation, right, where fans are kind of love, hate him. What's his reputation like in Finland? It's interesting because in Finland, if you play world champs, mm-hmm. that's easily like Pekkarainen is by far more popular than than Tuukka. And that's part of it. Just because so, he's never played world champs? Pretty much, yeah. National team is always the thing. Like if, if, you, haven't, if you haven't played for the national team, you, you are not a superstar, yeah. no matter how good you are here. Even though and, Tuka and, has won the cup, well, he wasn't the starter then, mm, but Pekkarin is by far a bigger star, yeah. Absolutely. So what's the interest level like right now as Boston's making their run? A lot, but I would say that, that Carolina, there's a lot of people who like the story around Carolina. Yeah, and and Aho is really, when he stepped up, people like him a lot. Yeah. So Has he played for the national team? What's that? Because yeah. he played for the national team? World Juniors. Yeah, World Juniors. <laughs> and in Helsinki. 2016. Yeah. So that team, like he was the leader of that yeah. team. So so I would say, this is just a guess, but Carolina is more popular right now than Tuka. People sure. like yeah. him, obviously, yeah, yeah. but I think. Yeah. And especially with Teuvo, they're like, you know, yeah, brothers. Young guys. Yeah, young here. guys. Aho, Carolina. Yeah. 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 So That's correct, yeah. Is this locked in? You guys have followed Tuka for a while. Is this the most locked in you've ever seen him? I would say so, yeah. 
I remember last time when it was six years ago in finals. Mm-hmm. I like Duka was great then, but I think he's just he's calm, collective. I would say this is the best Duka that we've seen ever. ever. And I, I mean, I think he's right when he's talking about the experience. And, yeah. And like six years is a lot of time. He's he's. I think he's way mature, more mature right now. Yeah, he was 26 then, yeah. and now he's 32. He's like, yeah, he's a family man, and so, yeah, I would say so, yeah. Which Finnish players do you see portrayed in North American media that you're like, oh, they're way different when they talk to us? Actually, Teuvo Teravainen might be one of those. He's very funny in Finnish. Really? He likes Sneaky to joke around. Funny, yeah. yeah, yeah. I would say yeah, Teravainen might be, um, well, Patrick Lainen, you guys know him pretty well, but... He's very good in Finnish, also. But yeah, I would say maybe Sebastian Aho is also. He's getting better. Oh, yeah. absolutely, a lot. A I lot, remember actually. when he came to the league and he was just like very serious. But now he's, you know, you can see the difference that he's more confident in in with media. You mentioned Line. What what do you make of his season? It's it's pretty it's pretty funny. Like his off season is when he scores 30 goals, <laughs> and he's he's only 21. So I mean. How, how many goals do they have? Thirty. Thirty. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, the roof is in fifty goals, fifty, sixty goals. Who knows? But he should be there like every year. I was, Sounds crazy, but that's yeah, and I, I was there a lot in 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 spring and and watching him, looking at him like on a daily basis. You could tell that he was tired, like yeah. with everything and in that market, everything, everybody is so interested and, and you're not having a good season. So a lot of pressure, you could tell that he, he was like, but suddenly player starts three goals in three games. He's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's in playoffs. He's so streaky. I, I, yeah. And, yeah. and I found it like really impressive that he could raise the game after everything he had gone through the exactly, season. Yeah. It it says a lot about his character and how yeah. strong he's mental mentally and, and but as he said, thirty goals on a season like that is just yeah. crazy. Yeah. Who does it? Did his mom live with him again this year? Dad at least I know. <laughs> I saw his dad a lot. He's, yeah, he doesn't know how to cook, so it's yeah. So we've gone this whole way. We haven't talked about Capo Caco. You guys were telling me earlier that the interest level in him right now is off the charts. Yeah, for sure. It's world on champs. a liner level. Yeah, like, world champs. How liner was two years back, three years. Yeah, back. it's kind of the same. He wasn't that big before the tournament, even though he scored the game-winning goal in World Juniors. But still, it's. I would say now he's the hottest player of you know Finnish hockey. Even though Tuukka's playing so well, but and like going back like ten years, people really didn't follow uh, like NHL prospects. I mean, yes, the young players yeah, yeah. who played in the, in in Finnish league, but now people are more aware about N- about the NHL yeah. and all these drafting stuff. So it creates even more buzz around him. Like, yeah, and now with who's number one and who's number two. It's, Especially it's now, because Finnish hockey is doing so well. So yeah. young guys are coming up all the time. Three years ago, it was Laine, Puliyarvi, all those guys who were. And the big difference, and I remember you guys told me this: it's skill guys now. It's not yeah. just third and fourth line centers, yeah. grinders, goalies. Exactly. Yeah. If you look at the NHL draft last four years, we have more top five players than Canada. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Huge Can flex. Can we should go tell this to our friend Chris Johnston. Yeah, we should. we should. But I mean, it's just. It's not gonna last, obviously, but no. But it says a lot. Like Sweden did it before, and now Finland is like following Sweden. So, how can we that. compare Kako to Line? 
He's he's a different, different cat. Player. Yeah, I would say he's more like Austin Matthews. Anyway, <laughs> like that's one of his he's idols. L- he's like Patrick Kane, Kane, Austin Matthews. He's yeah, he's nature. Like he he's a good kid. He's just humble. There's like there's no. He actually has diabetes. Really? Yeah, like Max Domi. So he's like pretty vocal about it. Yeah, yeah. Recently, yeah. So I was told his English isn't great right now, so I'm interested to hear about his personality from you guys because I think it's going to take us a couple years to really get to know him. Mm, I don't. I, I don't. I've only seen him a couple of times in yeah, we're all in juniors. juniors but yeah, mm, I would, I would say, say I mean, like a quiet guy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not goofing around. Like, like mm-hmm. I mean, he's confident, but he's not like lying and like you know, so brassy and just witty. But uh, like Mick Grandran, like nobody knows him here. What kind of guy he is. Like, everyone knows he's a good player, but nobody actually knows Mikkoranta outside of Finland. We don't even know how to pronounce it. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's a start. That's a start, yeah. All right, I have to end this with this. We were at dinner last night, and you guys were telling me that there's certain words in Finnish language to describe hangover. In fact, there's multiple words. Of course. Can you please there's go on? Lot, yeah. Phil Collins is the worst. <laughs> like, when you only hear Phil Collins songs, and all the faces you've seen... So I could go up to Tuka Rask and like, man, I had a rough night. It was a Phil Collins night. And you know what? Tuka knows that. Yeah, I think he has had a couple of Phil Collins. Yeah, old school. Yeah, yeah. He he likes to go out sometimes. (laughs) Probably not now, but after the season. And there was another word uh, that you told us. There was another American uh, actor. Which one's that? Morgan, oh, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. Oh. But that's that's when you have done something stupid and you yeah. regret it. So you kind of feel like... Like the next day. But yeah. it's because the word in Finnish is like Morkis. So then <laughs> someone turned it to Morgan. And then, okay, Morgan Freeman. That makes sense. So yeah. now it's like if you feel, if you regret the last night, it's like Morgan Freeman is coming to your place. Yeah. So the, t- learn, the word you taught me in last year's class was Dalekolma. Yeah, that was my pronunciation. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, really yeah. That's like when you need to take a nap yeah. to recharge to drink again. Yeah, and then much. what was the other word you told me when you just want to drink in your underwear? Kalsarakannit. Of course. I'm not going to try that Which one. Which is actually yeah, that's an actual word. word. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, that's a difficult word. Yeah. But it's in the dictionary. Yeah. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah, yeah everybody like, knows it. Yeah. And what's the definition? Uh, if you just want to stay out of your home and just drink <laughs> while your underwear. Yeah, like, it is that means underwear. And candy means and actually, like drunk. I, I, I actually, even with the long, uh, yeah, exactly. long underwear, yeah, yeah. long underwear. Long jumps, that's yeah. because very specific. Yeah, and that's ugly. Like if you, yeah, that's it. Think about that image. Yeah, yeah, it's very sad. But all right, let's wrap this up. Let's say Tuka wins the cup. What would his celebration be like? Where is he going to take it, and who's going to come out for it? I mean, he's done it already. So Tampere. Yeah. That's like he's not from there, but he played there, mm-hmm. so, and that's where Lani is from as well. Yeah, yeah. same town. So. Sauna. He's gonna go to a sauna. Sauna of and course, beer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably a lot of beer. I don't know. Go swimming with the cup. Yeah, to a lake. Yeah, but it's hard to really tell because he's he's not. It's hard to tell what he does because yeah. we don't know really know that much about him. We don't know any of the guys we cover. We just pretend. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Like, who knows? Yeah, go weird. Yeah. yeah, let's not go yeah. there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you guys. And how can everyone find your work? Where can they follow you guys? Mm, Twitter uh, would be easy. Yeah, easy. Twitter is always yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us your handles? It's my it's S H O F F R E N. 
Okay. And my Easy. name, like T-O-M-M-I-S-E-P-P-A-L-A. Awesome. I'm so glad I could share you with our world. Our thanks to our boys from Finland, who uh, you and I have both hoisted beverages with, and in fact, have broken bread with Sammy on many occasions. I have. They've been my Nobody's. dining partners uh, in this group. It's, it's We've got a nice little clique. It's us, Chris Johnston, and uh, yeah. Sean McKenzie of Sportsnet. But um, I will say this. They are awesome. I never make it out as late as they do. I, I always leave at maybe last call. <laughs> and you always look at Tommy's Instagram story in the morning, and you're like, they kept going. I think it goes Latvians, probably number one, and then Finns, mm-hmm. number two, as far as the, the – their blood is probably clear based on what I've seen. On the road, and what I've also learned about Finns, though, is that they're so serious. And, like, these two guys work harder than anything. Like, they both told me they've never watched Game of Thrones. They've yeah. never watched any TV. They don't have time. They have to watch so much hockey. And then when it's time to decompress, they F and decompress with a couple of Bud Lights and Moscow Mules. <laughs> and start dancing naked in a fountain. Oh, wait. That's only when they win, 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 win uh, world championships. Sharks and Blues. That's a series I'm on. Um you know, one of my favorite things about the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I think that the thing that makes it unique um, in sports is the unsung hero, the guy who comes out of nowhere to do, to have a moment. And sometimes it's a guy who has an incredible playoff, and sometimes it's just a guy who has the game of his life, as Robert Bortuzzo had in Game 2 of the Blues Shark series, uh, scoring a gorgeous backhand goal from, uh, as he comes from the blue line in on the on Martin Jones. Ryan O'Reilly called it the best backhand goal he had ever seen. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, and it was like one of those moments where... Huge flex. It's one of those moments where... It, but yeah, but it was one of those moments where like this guy who clearly he's been in and out of the lineup, always mm-hmm. has the right attitude and is clearly beloved by that room, does something. And then, you know, they win a game and everybody's, you know, talking to me. There's Bennington played great and Schwartz had a huge goal. But all those dudes wanted to talk about was Robert Bortuzzo and like the moment Aww. that he had in that game and also like blocking a huge shot. And you're just like, you know, that's the kind of thing that, 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 you know, galvanizes a team. That's the thing that energizes a team. And it was a pretty damn good goal too, to be honest with you. I mean, he caught Joe Thornton completely flat footed the blue line, then just came in and, and scored a, a, a nice, uh, a nice, a nice goal. His first playoff goal in like 31 games. Um, a heck of a little moment. I love I love the unsung hero thing in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I do. The it's next I topic I want to talk to you about, and I'd love to hear your perspective because you're here every day, is the Logan Couture. I'm going to call it the Redemption Tour. He's always been a little bit slighted <laughs> that he's never mentioned with the Crosbys and Stamkoses in the world. Well, he's the most dominant mm-hmm. player remaining in the playoffs. He has the most goals, 13. Uh, the most points, I believe, uh, 19 and 16 games. And he's just in, been incredible. What has been his mindset? What has the narrative been about him? Narrative is a word that you're not allowed to use in Around the Horn. I got muted for that. Um, but I'm going <laughs> to use it here because you know what? This is our podcast and I can use every word I want. He's just a savage player. Like, as I pointed out in this podcast before, he's always been sort of the Salieri to Crosby's Mozart in the sense that mm. they're both rink rats. They both play a similar kind of game and, and Couture just never got the recognition and never had the championships, uh, that, and, and individual accolades that Crosby's gotten. Um, and this is really his moment. I, you know, the, the line that he's on now with Timo Meyer and now and now Nyquist because Pavelski got hurt, Nyquist got elevated to that line. They've just been playing really, really well. I think has clicked at the right time for him. But he's done so much more individually than I think they even thought they could get out of him. He's always been a really good playoff performer, but man, he's just taken over games now. 
Um, and he's just like laser focused. And I've said this before, but, but it, it needs to be reiterated. There's nobody in hockey from a media perspective that you want to talk to more than Logan Gutierrez after a loss. He's so petulant <laughs> and he's so pissy and it's great because it's not in a like, in a, in a, in, in a, in a jerky way, you know, to PG mm-hmm. it, but in more of a, this means so much to me. And I am so annoyed by what happened that this is how it's coming out of me. And, and I always appreciated that about him. And like, he's always his worst critic. He's, he's always the team's worst critic. It's like, Logan, uh, what happened at game two against the Blues? Weren't good enough. Yeah. None of us were good enough. And we'll be good, we'll be good next time. Just not good. Speaking of someone who's yeah, not been good. good enough, but not good enough. Eric Carlson, would that be a, a fair way to say his postseason's going? What's so, going on there? There's a disconnect for me on this because I, I did see the Sportsnet uh, clip where he wasn't really skating hard um, in some cases, and there was a clip reel of it. He's clearly injured, but mm-hmm. he's also clearly gotten better as the playoffs have gone on. I mean, he looks faster. He's making more plays. He's not the Eric Carlson from three or four years ago that much is clear he may never be that guy again but i've seen people kind of like bemoan the idea of eric carlson getting a long-term contract or, or getting paid huge money this offseason from somebody he's still great he's really really good um he passes the the eye test at the very least at this point in the playoffs um and there's always going to be moments where he doesn't look like himself because i think he's hurt but i i've been impressed by how well he's played um and again, like the ability of that team to throw Burns and Vlasic out and Carlson out for yeah. 50 minutes of, of a 60-minute regulation game is an advantage that few teams have. Um, I still think the ultimate scenario is him going to Tampa for one year for a lot of money. That'd be awesome. But One-year deal? Yeah. I mean, NBA it up, man. Like, go go down there, do the thing, you know, join, where join your, your, your... Where your pirate's at. But the two things that I keep hearing in these playoffs from people... Uh, on the scuttlebutt front is the potential of Eric Carlson going to the Rangers mm-hmm. um, to go to go back east, and because he's such friends with 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 Lundqvist. And then there's this creepy—I don't know if you've heard this—but there's this creeping suspicion that Panarin to Florida might not be as concrete as people think it is. That there's still a chance that he might end up in New York. The last thing I wanted to mention on the Sharks Blues series, and this is obviously a tough one because we're doing the podcast on a game day for that series, so who knows what happens. Game three is tonight as we do the podcast. The Sharks have been really wacky in the fact that in odd-numbered games, they've been awesome, like a plus-14 goal differential. And in even number even number games, they've been horrendous, like a minus-13 goal differential. And so game three tonight, we'll see if the trend holds. But the Joe Thornton thing's interesting. I mean, win it for Joe has been the narrative from the outside. I think inside that room, they'd love to win it for Thornton. They love the guy. But as as Joe Pavelski pointed out the other day, it's also the totality of the organization looking for their first Stanley Cup. I mean, you know, there have been guys like Pavelski there and Couture there and, and others that have been there for forever. You know, Doug Wilson has managed that team forever. He's looking for his first cup. Uh, the fans have been awesome and living in San Jose, I think I've talked about it before. Like you don't recognize how great that hockey town is until you're there for a while. They need their, their cup. Um, but it's kind of a, it's been an interesting disconnect with Thornton when you have the blues in a series who are one of the teams that knows him 
not as the bearded Patrick Swayze and Point Break kind of <laughs> kind of dude, um, but know him as kind of a nasty player at times. And I think that part of his game gets overlooked for the majesty of Joe's passes and the fact that he should have been one of the hundred best players of all time. Like I wrote about the David Perron play from yeah. several years ago, where you know he hit Perron in the head coming out of the penalty box. Perron missed you know the rest of that season, parts of the next season still thinks about that moment with Thornton because he still feels the after effects of that injury every time he gets concussed again. It it affected his entire life, he said. And I think Blues fans see this sort of outpouring for Thornton. And one, they see it as uh, that your your prototypical, oh, the media wants the Sharks to win because they want Thornton to play Boston. And And they also see it as like, this guy's guy's done some horrendous things in his life as a player and, and why isn't anybody balancing the equation to talk about how, how he is sort of an underhanded and dirty player at times um i still kind of err on the side of i'd love to see joe thornton win a stanley cup because i think he's it'd be a hell of a, a cap to a hell of a career um but i do find it interesting that when we get into this hero worship mode the nuances of the player are never brought out. Like, are we going to, when, when Brad Marchand is, 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 uh, a 30, you know, nine years old, are we going to just be like, no one's talking about the time that he, <laughs> that he did XYZ in the playoffs where he licked the guy's face in the playoffs? No, we're always going to be talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> that is never right. going away. It's a, it's a really interesting series and, uh, yeah. and obviously probably a little bit longer than the one that you're covering right now. I'm going to guess. Yeah. I'm sorry. I might get those a uh, couple days at home. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Darren Pang is a good friend of ours. He works for Fox Sports Midwest, NHL Network, and has been doing uh, color for the playoffs on, Ref- on Westwood One Radio. We talked to him before Game 2 uh, about many uh, things, including Jordan Bennington uh, and his impact on the Blues and goaltending in general, including who he thinks is the best goalie in the league right now. And uh, here is a panger. On Bennington, you mentioned a few times. I wrote about him earlier this year. Fascinating kid. In the sense that everybody who's ever come in contact with him knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Knew the minute he had an opportunity to grab the crease, he'd grab it with two hands and never let go of it. Yeah, but he's ready now. I mean, I've, I've been through all his training camps. Mm-hmm. I've seen him in Traverse City at the Prospects Camp way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been the last two training camps for me as I watched camp and evaluated the goalies that I thought that he'd made a, a real positive step. Mm-hmm. Like, How so? Well, he, he he looked like he belonged. Two training camps ago, he looked like he belonged. Mm-hmm. He, he was he had complete command of his net, um, whereas before he looked like a really a, a, a young, immature kind of a junior goalie. Mm-hmm. I mean, because f- your first impression is he is very skinny, right? So when I saw him right away, um, I said, "Whoa, boy, he's got he's going to have to bulk up a little bit. Yeah. You know, he's going to have to get just a little bit bigger." And he has. Yeah, you know, he's a he he really is a man now. Versus being kind of a loose and um, loosey goosey kind of goaltender that just wasn't ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year at training camp, I pulled him aside and I just said to him, uh, "I said you changed your hand position. There's something you're doing." And he goes, "Yeah." And it's typical the way he is. He goes, "Yeah, you noticed?" <laughs> and I said, "I said yeah, I noticed." He says, "You like it?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, I like it. I, I like where your hands are. I'm a big believer in where hands are." And I think there's too many goalies that have their elbows locked to their side mm-hmm. and they become blockers and positional technical guys that just don't have any hands. And mm-hmm. and so anyway, as you notice, when he catches pucks, he catches them all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's because his hands are in front of him and he's free with his hands. And so that part I noticed. And then I, his angles were really good. Like 
if you see him, a player coming down the wing, he doesn't have to do very much because his angles are good. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not swimming. He's not going. He's over sliding over top of the the post. Or he, he's he's got a really good uh, fundamentals in, in that positioning. And then and then the other thing is, I noticed that he doesn't get backed up. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't end up on the goal line ever. Mm-hmm. He's always on top. So it just goes to show you, you don't have to be nine feet tall to get to the top of your crease. Right. You just have to get to the top of your crease, right. and you have to fight for space. So where he is in the crease is a symptom of how he is. As I mean, a he's, he's a confident, confident. guy. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that he he went into Winnipeg and won three times is yeah. shocking. I mean, like he's that good to do it, but that's a real tough place to win. Went into Tampa Bay and won one nothing. Yeah. How did you feel about the Bishop situation with him getting hit that with that shot in game uh, game six? Tough call for the referee. I was. I thought that the referee did a good job. That was Rooney. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he skated by him. He was close to him, so he could tell. Like, I, I know f- from my body, if I got hit in the, let's say I got hit in the Adam's apple on that shot. Yeah, there'd be a sound that you would make that was in your. You are in. You would make the sound. Yes. Yeah. Severe pain. Right. There's a, a shot that you get off the ribs or the or a shoulder or something. It, it's not the same sound, and I think that Rooney did a good job of. Seen exactly what it was because by the rule book, until they touch the puck, you don't blow it down. Mm-hmm. But but if there's blood squirting out of his left eyeball, yeah. you're blowing it down. If you hear the 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 sound of the voice because that player is in really tr- in trouble, mm-hmm. I think Rooney would have blown it down. Yeah. So tough, tough call, call all the way around. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often like that where you know the play would d- be blown down at one particular point. But I thought Steen did an excellent job of. Figuring it out, mm-hmm. put it to the net, and a redirection, and it becomes a huge goal too. Much talked about. All right, last one. Who's the best goalie in hockey right now? Um, yeah, it's Tuukka Rask is playing great. Boy, is he! Yeah, Tuukka Rask is playing. <laughs> Isn't great. it funny to think yep. about? Like, and that might just be yep. a symptom of Boston being Boston, but like no. that guy's taken no, so much criticism great. through the years, um, and then he has a season like this, it just seems to shut everybody up. Morazic's injury. That hurt him. Yeah. I actually thought they were going to start Curtis in Game One just to continue the flow that they had from from the series against the Islanders. Mm-hmm. And and now now they're now they got to get Morazic either back on or they got to make a change. Right. So we'll leave that. You know, we'll leave Caroline out. Um, Tuukka Rask has certainly been the most consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan Binnington mm-hmm. is. I mean, <laughs> he's just won Game Six and Game Seven. But if we take it outside, overtime, take it outside the playoffs, the whole league. Who's your guy right now? I think Vasilevsky. You think so? Yeah, I'm a big I'm more than a, more than Gibson. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I mean John Gibson. He was for the first three, two and a half months of the season. I think he was the MVP of the league. Yeah, me too. They gave up a lot of chances, you know. But I guess I guess you kind of been forgotten because they're not in the playoff round. So you kind of your memories on that. Bishop had a great year. How do you, um, as a, as a guy who analyzes goalies, parse out? Because the Vasilevsky thing always reminds me of. Okay, well, you know, give me Hedman and McDonough for mm-hmm. fifty minutes a game. Let's see what I could do back there. Like, how do you parse out what's in front of a guy and what's um, what a guy? No, I think doing? they give up. Loads of chances, yeah. And I think they give. Yeah, up, I saw that Columbus series. They give up. They give up quality chances. Yeah. So I think the saves that he's had to make in the last two years um, puts him above the rest. Yeah, that's for me anyway. Our thanks to Darren Pang for joining the podcast. And if you want to know a little bit more about Jordan Bennington's historic season, uh, we throw it to our friend now Vince Massey from ESPN Stats and Information. Hey guys, so Jordan Bennington's road to the conference finals has been a long and winding one. He was the sixth goalie taken when he was selected by the Blues in the third round of the 2011 NHL draft, and he'd been sent down to the minors 11 times in his pro career. He was waived twice by the Blues most recently as September of 2018, 
and he was finally called up for good on January 5th. He's won nine games this postseason. That's tied a blue single-year record. And if he gets to 10 wins, he'll become the 10th rookie to reach double-digit victories in Stanley Cup playoff history. Of that group, four went on to win the Stanley Cup that year. Ken Dryden, Patrick Waugh, Cam Ward, and Matt Murray is in that group. Now, Bennington's been at his best when he bounces back after a loss. He's gone 10-2 and in that situation with a 934 save percentage, including the playoffs. All this to help the Blues get closer to reaching the Stanley Cup Final for the first time since 1970, the second longest active drought in the league behind the Maple Leafs. I'm Vince Massey for ESPN Stats and Information. All right, now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. It's a time of the show in which we turn the focus on the hockey media and some of the weird and wacky things it does. So I love the two people we're going to talk about. In fact, I had a really good time in the uh, Sharks Colorado series being seatmates with Pierre Lebrun, who used to be with this very uh, uh, organization. And he is super fun. We had a really good time. Um, but I will t- I will pick on two of my friends here. Uh, it is the thing where people are jumping to conclusions about what is essentially an anomaly in postseason years. It has been wacky. We just saw the best, one of the best regular season teams in the history of the league go out in the first round in a sweep. Uh, upsets abound. Un- unexpected things are happening. It's been kind of nutty. And, uh, and occasionally we have playoffs like this. And I really don't think it's cool <laughs> to try to base trends or project things or shift the paradigm based on an anomaly. So, Pierre wrote a story about how a Western Conference executive reached out to him over the weekend and pointed out that not a single player left in the Stanley Cup playoffs makes more than Brent Burns' $8 million cap hit, which is true. Now, first off, that executive, of course, is going to point that out because that executive wants to keep salaries down. (laughs) Like, that's the entire agenda if you're running a team is be like, look, look, they none of them make more than $8 million. Do you want to play for the cup? Clearly, this is the way the team should be built. So agenda pretty much set there. Second, it doesn't take into account contract inflation. Like, what would Patrice Bergeron be worth today? Did he not sign an eight-year contract back in 2014 with a $6.875 million cap hit? Like, these teams kind of lucked out as far as locking in guys early. Maybe that's the lesson. You know, try to get them in before inflation hits, but... You know, the value of these guys would have been exponentially larger had they not signed long-term deals. And then it ignores the fact that in the last two years in the Final Four, we've had Ovechkin and Malkin and Perry and Stamkos and Getzlaff and Kessel and Johansson. And, and other Kane guys and Taze. Yeah, and, and other guys that make more than $8 million a season. Like, it, it is clearly an anomaly this year. And yeah, I mean, there is something to be said for the long-term deals that Boston got their guys to sign, the long-term deals that San Jose got their guys to sign for the most part. But I mean, like, literally last year we had Ovechkin win a cup. You know, it's just, I I don't like the idea of trying to base anything on this season, and I especially don't like the idea of trying to base it on some dude trying to depress salaries setting the agenda. The other other guy I want to talk about is Dan Goes Brown. Sean, as you know, is, is on my other podcast, He's the, one of my favorite people in the world, but he he wrote a really good story 
about you know what we can look for going forward from these playoffs. And there's only one bone I want to pick. Of the four teams, only the Hurricanes had a recent top five pick. In 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 the mm-hmm. sense of like you don't need top five picks to, to contend. And I mean, again, Ovechkin, Stamkos, Hedman, Line, Wheeler, Flurry, Crosby, Malkin, Flurry, Bobby Ryan, Ryan Johansson. Those are the last two years that we've had in the Final Four. I mean. Come on. It's like you can't extrapolate from this weird ass year. That's my only point. Don't let's the not two jump words to conclusions. I have to say is recency bias. It's the, a thing. The, Look it up. I'll 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 give you four more words. Jump to conclusions, Matt. <laughs> to use an office space reference. Ooh, nice. Thank you for refreshing me. I would have gotten it eventually. But I love Pierre and I love Sean. I'm not trying to be a dick here. And you can take out that word if you want to, Ryan. He's not trying to be a D here. (laughs) Mute. All right, now it's time for fuck headlines. Dateline Buffalo. Ralph Kruger is the new head coach of the Buffalo Sabres. Man, there was a moment within the last like week when we were all like, "What is? What are the Sabres going to do? Are they going to dabble in the dark arts of Jacques Martin? Are they going to go and try to find some other penguin?" Uh, adjacent uh, person that uh, that Jason Bottrell will hire to be the new head coach. And lo and behold, they coax a guy who everybody has been waiting to come back to the National Hockey League after his all-too-brief stint with the Edmonton Oilers a few years ago, uh, a guy who uh, set the world on fire with his coaching of Team Europe and the World Cup of Hockey. Ralph Kruger is the new head coach of the Sabres. I think this is a really fascinating move. Um, well-respected guy, brilliantly smart guy. Uh, and, and a guy that I think was angling to be an executive in this league, but has decided to come back as a coach. And uh, we'll see in 2019 what that means for the Buffalo Sabres. I love it. If teams are not comfortable enough hiring a European-born coach in Rickard Gronberg or any of the other candidates that have emerged, this is probably the second best option because he's a worldly man. He has a unique resume and he's not... Purely hockey. Remember, he came back from soccer, uh, where he arguably took a much better job than he had with the Edmonton Oilers, yeah. at least by being fired by Skype. I digress. Let's not treat him dirty like that. I'm curious to see what lessons he brought over from Europe and he can instill in the NHL. And uh, I think guys will really respond to him. And you talk to some of those Oilers players that played from and they, to a man, they're all I, I've asked them. They're all like, look, the, one of the worst mistakes we ever made was was getting rid of that guy after one year. Like he was a scapegoat basically. And, you know, the players loved him. Management didn't. And, uh, and it's great that he's getting another crack, but you're right though. I mean, like, God, how many, you know, Gromberg must be looking at the situation being like, he coached for one year in the league and that's his ticket back in. Like, what do I got to do to get here? Feel well, bad he was born for him. in Canada. Even though Gromberg, not to get back on the Gromberg train, but does have an American passport. Like he's pretty North American. Hmm. Gromborg train probably has some really delicious food. Dateline, South Beach. Touched on this briefly before, but uh, George Richards of The Athletic, one of my favorite people in the world, to the surprise of no one, probably got a tip from a busboy in uh, in Miami and caught up with a vacationing Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky in South Beach as they were having lunch with their girlfriends. Uh, Panarin... To the surprise of no one, didn't really feel like going on the record. But Bob uh, told George not to read too much into the boys uh, having some decompression time in South Beach and the fact that they both own property there. So uh, 
This is a Mike Russo level of, uh, <laughs> of hustle by a reporter to go track two guys, like, eating on a sidewalk cafe and then having the cojones to be like, hey, so you want to talk on the record about your free agency? <laughs> I love and George. Our sweet, our sweet boy Bob just does it. Just says, yes, oh, sure, let's chat. So, so good. I mean, they knew, they knew George from his covering of the Blue Jackets, I guess, for a little bit, but man, that was, that was an awesome, awesome story. And, and if you know him at all, like, He's the guy to sidle up to somebody being like, how are you enjoying your fish? You feel like talking about your free agency? <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Dateline Toronto. Brendan Shanahan gets a six-year extension to which uh, our uh, Phil Kessel loves hot dogs all-star Steve Simmons said, imagine how many years he'd get if he won a playoff round hot dogs. And... Uh, <laughs> So my question to you is, does uh, Brendan Shanahan deserve a six-year extension based on what the Leafs have done? Sure. Yeah, six seems a little long, uh, especially in today's day and age where uh, guys have very, very uh, short tenures in their current places. <laughs> but I think they're on the right track. I think, you know, they want to keep this nucleus of management group intact. And to do that, you need some stability. So I have no problem with it. I don't either. I, 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 his tasks with that organization go well beyond what's happening on the ice. I think he's yes. he's certainly given it structure. He's done a really good job there as far as that goes. And the on ice thing will come. I mean, look, at some point they're not going to play the Bruins. Okay. So like, I think once we get there, they're going to be okay. But look, no question the clock is ticking. No question the pressure is increasing. No question that when Kyle Dubas has to send text messages to Toronto radio hosts to be like, Babcock's still my guy, even though he's got four years left on his deal. You know, the pressure is getting to a point where changes might have to be made if things don't work out. But the change should not be Brendan Shanahan. I think he's done a really good job. With that organization. Uh, Dateline Gritty. Hot dogs. <laughs> the Flyers Amazing new addition to the podcast. <laughs> the Flyers Orange Nightmare won the Webby Award for People's Voice Award for Social Athletes and Sports Teams. And he wore a suit to the awards and uh, and and spoke, I believe, with uh, placards that were written out for him. So Gritty is a Webby winner. Congratulations to Gritty. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to take anything away from his achievement, but there should be a cap on how many words are allowed in the title of an award. That was just too many. People's That's Voice Award for Social Athletes and Sports Teams. I guess he's he is under the sports team's uh, umbrella because I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen Gritty run the 40, but I'm going to assume that he's under the sports team's part. Uh, Dateline Boston. Emily, you've had the pleasure of uh, being in uh, in Boston a few times this postseason. Uh, the travel company Big Seven ranked the Boston accent as the second sexiest in the country, behind them good old boys in Texas. How is that possible? I'll take clickbait for seven hundred, Alex. Uh, <laughs> literally, I think it was just an invention of the internet. Look, my grandpa's from Boston. He grew up in Dorchester. I have a cousin, Marley, and a second cousin, Molly, and he called them both Molly. Like, I grew up with this accent. I still don't find it attractive. I find it very, very disturbing. Uh, no. Yeah, uh, it's some internet fodder. Mm-hmm. Um, the New York accent was third. And uh, I don't agree with that either. I think I, as, as, a, as a still kind of New Yorker, I think Boston and New York accents should be like well behind uh any 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 accent from from the south. Like a like yes. a 
you know, any, any, anybody who sounds like they should be using the word cotillion to me is mm. a more sexier accent than uh, New York or Boston. And uh, I, frankly, I'd put the Minnesota accent ahead of both, too. I think it's a beautiful well, folksy thing. That is a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know. Oh, for invite sure. You to the, invite you to the bedroom for whatnot and who knows who. Uh, Dateline draft lottery. <laughs> uh, after Zion Williamson goes to the Pelicans, years after Connor McDavid goes to the Edmonton Oilers, can we all agree that at this point in our history as a species that there is no fixing of the draft lottery? Or can we officially say that the lottery isn't fixed now that we've seen what's gone down? I'd like to say that. I don't know if the internet's ready to get oh. on that logical conclusion with us. Still on the conspiracy theory train. I loved the moment uh, during the NBA draft lottery when the Lakers made the top four and everybody's just like, oh, come. Like, we were already sort of, oh, come on with the idea of the Knicks winning the lottery and getting Zion Williamson. And then when the Lakers had a chance, we're like, come on. But then as our good friend Arash Markazi pointed out, it was the most L.A. thing ever to get in the top four and probably and then have L.A. fans complain that they're not in the top three. Right. But exactly. It's the top three. Uh, it's a three player draft. So we really got screwed. And, and again, like we, it, it brings us back to a conversation that we always have when it comes to these star players going to like small market teams, which is that doesn't matter. Like Connor going to the Oilers. Sure, you'd want him in a more higher profile city, but essentially the biggest issue is that they suck and that he never gets in the playoffs. So to me, it's not so much Zion Williamson going to the Pelicans is going to like put him off the map or anything. For God's sakes, LeBron became a star in Cleveland. It's that is the team going to be any good? That's to me the bigger issue is, 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 can, is the team good? <laughs> and can we see this person in the playoffs? And if so, I, I, I think you can surpass the small market thing if that's the case, but. I think in both the Oilers case and the Pelicans case, you're like, eh, don't don't wallow in obscurity until you're a free agent. So, but you know, you know, all this as a as a student of the NBA now that you're you've crammed around the horn. You know what? When you said you you know, I was thinking you were going to say Yins know, and I was just curious why did Pittsburgh not end up on that list? Oh, Pittsburgh's already in the Hall of Fame. They're not even on that list. They are mm. uh, they are considered to be the the most beautiful, eloquent accent flower. Yins know you've got the best accent in all all the world, don't you? Yins know. All right. No rant line this week. Everybody is in a really good mood, so nobody had anything to complain about. Good for you guys. Our thanks to Sammy and Tommy, our Finnish friends, for talking about a great many things. Our thanks to Darren Pang for talking to us about the Blues and the Sharks. Our thanks to you for listening to this podcast. If you like it, then you should please, you should please go to iTunes and leave your reviews and tell other people that you dig the podcast to help more people find it. Um, Emily and I have some plans in place, some irons in the fire when it comes to maybe doing some daily stuff during the cup final uh, when and uh, she and I are both uh, reunited on the road. And uh, that'll be fun. And anyways, I'm Greg Wyshynski. You can find my stuff at Wyshynski on Twitter. You can listen to my other podcast, Puck Soup, which is this podcast, but with two dudes and more cursing. And then also... Uh, Read the story I wrote today on Charles Glenn. He's a uh, the anthem singer for the blues who's uh, battling uh, multiple sclerosis and uh, was calling it quits. 
and uh, decided to call it quits in January when they were in last place, and then they just kept on winning. And now he gets to sing uh, deep into the playoffs, which is something he didn't expect. Uh, it was a fun story to report. Also involves a sidebar on uh, him having a singing competition with Meatloaf on stage that yeah, I really enjoyed yeah. writing. I'm Emily Kaplan. You so, can find me on Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan. My only plug is to read Greg's story because that was an awesome story. Oh, thank you so much. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you uh, soon. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.